I thank you, Lord, actually, for your spirit to be here. I thank you, Lord, for the prayers that took place in the vestry before we began service. I thank you for the prayers early this morning. I thank you for the emails and the texts and words of encouragement from congregants in this community here, asking, Lord, that your spirit is with us. God, I ask that uh, you forgive us of our sins, that you cleanse our hearts, that you prepare our hearts to be able to receive your word, as difficult as the word may be sometimes, Lord. I ask for the courage and the determination to be a follower of you. Give that to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I know that some of you love to go see movies, and so I was just going to help you with some of the movies that are out there right now and, uh, and let you know what happens in them. Uh, Jason Bourne came out earlier this summer, and uh, just so you know this, he dies at the end. It's the end of the season and the series. Uh, Ben-Hur... He dies in the end, too. It's a classic remake of 1959, but he dies at the end as well. Uh, the War Dogs is out there. They both die at the end. And uh, Sully, I think, is the only movie where he doesn't die at the end because it has to be fictional and true to the story. And now you think to yourself, oh, my goodness, why did he tell me how it's going to end? He's ruined it for me. There's no way that I can go to this movie. It's as if, for some reason, you have just too comfortable a life. And you feel like, I need more anxiety. What I want to do is go to a movie and experience tension and anxiety, sit with my therapist, holding my hands on both sides, saying, how will I get through this? Now I've helped you. You don't have to pay for them to come with you. You can just watch it now. You know how it's going to end. And in fact, when you know the end, you may even feel like, it's okay. I could enjoy this in a different way, instead of leaving yourself in some kind of tension of anxiety. Well, just FYI, in case you're wondering, I actually don't know how those movies end, um, and, uh, other than one of them. So, uh, I'll let you guess which one it is that is true and which one it doesn't, and you can work that out. Here's the thing, though. The books that we know and the books that we're getting into, and we're going to get into Daniel today, the beginning of a seven-week series. We're going to go into the book of Revelation in January and go through the whole book of Revelation. These are epic books. These are books that shape the future, the present, and the past. These are books that give you insights into how God is with us all the time. And they're phenomenal books. They're part of our foundation. We understand this so clearly well as well for ourselves here as Seventh-day Adventists. But it is a phenomenal book, the book of Daniel, that actually has shaped so much of what we are in our tribe today. Because Daniel doesn't just deal with the past of 600 B.C., but Daniel takes you with the fall of Israel, 600 B.C., all the way through time, present time, and all the way through until Jesus returns. It is a phenomenal book. It takes you from the past, the furthest you could go, all the way through until Christ returns, and this is what it's about. So I was looking for a word to describe the book of Daniel, and, and you may see that there's a beautiful word up there, because this word, resilience, was the best one I could find. Traditionally, when I've preached on the book of Daniel, I've often used Daniel as a title or, or the meaning of Daniel, which is God is my judge as a title. But I felt actually, having scanned the entire book all summer long, reflecting on what the message was, God is saying to us, you can be resilient because I give you the strength. So the resilience is all inside them. We're going to look at a whole series of different things that make up resilience. And today we're looking at determination. Um, I want to make sure that you have the worship guides, and uh, if you don't, then you can just put your hands up, and the, uh, the team will get you one upstairs, Bobby needs one up there, anybody else? Faith up here on the front, Chanel needs one, great, um, no, she doesn't, Jim was just joking, but uh, 
Faith needs one up front here. If we could get worship guides to everybody, because inside here we have our recalibrate questions, and, uh, and you, you will also need a pen today uh, for some of the things that we're going to do inside this message as well. But the very first question that comes up here, it, for me, is the essence of why the gospel drives all of us. The dr gospel drives us, and it is this transformative power that actually pushes us to change. So the first question I have here, does Jesus or, and there is a blank there, shape your life today? Does Jesus or, whatever that is, shape your life today? And you can fill in that blank with all sorts of words. You could say, does Jesus or tradition shape your life today? Does Jesus or the church shape your life today? Does Jesus or science shape your life today? Does Jesus or identity shape your life today? Does Jesus or orientation shape your life today? Does Jesus or Hillary Clinton shape your life today? Does Jesus or Trump, Donald Trump, shape your life today? Why wasn't there so many laughter now? Okay, does Jesus or uh, family or Jesus or culture shape your life today? These are important questions, an important question that we have to wrestle through because you have to recognize what affects your life and what role Jesus has in shaping your life as well. Well, Paul, the Apostle Paul, uh, in the book of 1 Corinthians, and if you grab your pew Bibles, you can uh, grab your pew Bibles there. It's 1 Corinthians, it's on page 1053, 1053. Remember with these Bibles that you can take them away, and uh, you're welcome to have them, and uh, you're welcome to mark inside them as well, and make your comments inside there. Somebody else will read it as well, take it home, share it with other people. We will replace them and put more inside there. But 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul is trying to explain to us how significant Jesus is and how the tension is sometimes that we are trying to contain Jesus and maybe keep him in certain places. And this is important to the story of Daniel, and you'll understand this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there is no, be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and same judgment. For it had been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? He's very sarcastic, and that's why I love Paul so much. I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For Paul, all he's saying to us is this, I have one Jesus. All of us have one Jesus. Doesn't matter what tribe you belong to, it is the same Jesus. And he is the one that holds us together. He is the one that is with us through every single struggle. And you cannot contain Jesus. If you try to describe Jesus and say this is who Jesus is, you have not understood who Jesus is. It's only a partial description of who Christ is. He cannot be contained by this. And this was the passion of the church when it started. So let me take you through a quick summary of how the church began all the way through to where we are today, because again, this shapes where we are in Daniel chapter 1. When the church started, and it began really early, straight there with Christ, we eventually established a name, and the name was the Catholic Church. And the Catholic Church, Catholic basically means with a small c, it means universal. 
It was the universal church. It was the one undivided church. It was the one church that said, we want to lift up Jesus. We want to lift up God. But when that church strayed away, which happens, it strayed away, people said, we need to go back to the Bible, and we need to make sure that we are lifting up Christ. And a certain chap called Martin Luther started the Protestant Revolution and said, I want to be focused on the Bible. I want to make sure that we are back inside here. And this is the way that God nudges us. Now, remember that phrase, God nudges us, because God is nudging us individually, and God is nudging us as an entire tribe all the time. So God nudges us. He nudges them and says, listen, I want you to understand the significance of this. You need to come back. And in fact, October 31, 1517, which will be October 31 next year, will be the 500th anniversary for the Reformation. And we will be celebrating it here at this church as well. So mark that date in your calendars inside there. But God nudged the church inside there. A couple of hundred years later, Church still starts to stray away. It's just a habit. We just do this. The church strays away. And people started to come up with a form called higher criticism. Higher criticism basically said this. I love the Bible. Brilliant book. Written by humans, though. Therefore, not really prophetic. Not really reliable. Let's see what the culture says at the time, and we'll understand it based on that. And that's how they started to interpret higher criticism. So everybody was cutting at the core of the Bible, saying the Bible is not reliable, the Bible is not the strength anymore, it is not something that we can hang on to anymore. And the higher criticism comes along and God says, listen, let me nudge you some more. And there was this great awakening starting in Europe and going through all the colonies to America and other places further afield and saying, let me awaken a desire to come back to the Word of God. And get this, the book that everybody was talking about, the book that everybody wanted to understand was the book of Daniel. And the book of Daniel spread like wildfire. People were like, this book, this book has something for us. It was only at that time, by the way, that, that the, author, the high criticism had pushed the people to believe that the book of Daniel was written around 200 BC instead of 600 BC. If they had believed that it was 600 BC, they would have to believe that God knew in advance because he could predict things through the prophet Daniel. But if you say it was 200 BC, well then, it's all there in front of you and it's really easy and it wasn't anything prophetic, it wasn't anything special, it's just an ordinary history book telling you how things have been in the past. So holding true to the Word of God and the inspiration and the stories inside it that it was written 600 BC was this big push and this awakening that took place. And our church, our church was birthed at that time based on a prophecy and revelation that talks about a, a scroll. And you guys who've been in Adventism long, maybe you've heard this, maybe you've never heard this, but the scroll, and how the scroll was really sweet, and they ate this sweet scroll, and it was just really good, and then he got to his stomach, and he gave him a stomachache, and he was like, this is a bitter scroll, it wasn't as good as fellowship lunch here at the church. You do not get a stomachache with fellowship lunch here, just FYI, in case you're thinking about it. It is great. So it was this scroll inside there, and it said because you would take this great prophecy in Daniel, you would think you understood it. It was sweet. You believed that Jesus was coming, and the great disappointment would hurt your stomach, and you would actually have to struggle through this. Understanding all of these put us in a place where we said, I understand where we're coming from. And our church wanted nothing more than to see Jesus. Our tribe wanted nothing more than to see Jesus return. But only 40 years passed by, and it strays away. Just like everybody else, 
it strays away. And God comes and what does he do? That's a question. What does he do? He nudges us. He nudges us and God nudges us and says, you need to come back to the truth. You need to come back to the reality that the church exists to lift up Jesus Christ. And that's what it's about. And in 1888, there was a huge kerfuffle in our tribe that I'm going to talk about in a few weeks' time as we explore what took place inside it, because Daniel leads us directly into this. And it was because they had strayed away, and they said, no, Jesus is the central focus of this. It is all about Jesus, and that is what the church is supposed to be. So the church, then, has to answer this question, question number one, that you have inside your recalibrate sheets there. The church has to say this, does Jesus or unity shape the church today, right? Does Jesus or power shape the church today? Does Jesus or male domination shape the church today? Does Jesus or tradition shape the church today? These are questions that we must wrestle through. There are many more that you could fill in that blank, but these are questions that doesn't hurt us to ask if we are focused on Christ. Because as long as you're focused on Christ, you have an authentic walk with God. And here it is, when you have an authentic walk with God, he will take you to places you don't want to go. That's what he does. That's what he does. So, hey, uh, I know that you have seen through the bulletin, if you signed up for our email bulletin and, and through some other databases as well, that we are, we've launched a daily walk. And I, and I hope that you're using the Daily Walk. Uh, we sent it out by email. We'll send it out this afternoon. It's a link to our website. But we also have hard copies. So if you don't have internet, if you don't have an email, and you want a hard copy of the Daily Walk, you're welcome to come and get a copy. See Pastor Jessica, and she will get you a hard copy today. Uh, we had some with the greeters as well. And so if you come to church in the morning, make sure you get a copy of that. But that Daily Walk, there's three reasons why I want you to go through the daily walk in preparation for the sermons that we do here, the messages that we do here. So here are the three reasons. Number one, if you study the Bible, you'll discover more about Jesus, and he will transform and change your life. Okay? That's number one. Number two, if you study the Bible, you will discover more about Jesus, and he will transform and change your life. Number three, if you study the Bible, you will discover more about Jesus, and he will transform and change your life. Did you see the difference? It was subtle, I know. If you study the Bible, God will change you. And that's what we want you to do every single day in preparation for this. So I know that as we enter into chapter one, some of you have gone through daily walk. We, we, we can see who clicks on it and who goes through it. So we're seeing like quite a high read rate on site there. We don't know how much time you're spending in it, but I'm hoping some of you have done that. So I, I have this tension right now. There are some people inside here who are brand new to faith, all right? This is like, it's a fresh experience for them, fresh experience to church. They are new to the church. They're new to their faith walk. There are others that are experienced, they're more classical in their faith, and I've understood a lot, and actually maybe even gone through daily walk. And so I don't want to repeat a whole load of things inside daily walk. So I, I've unpacked a lot of Daniel chapter one inside there. If you're wondering where it is, it's all online. Go through it, you'll find some stuff. I will mention some of the things inside there, but I really encourage you to spend a few minutes every day reflecting on what we prepared for you to prepare your hearts as well for coming inside here as well. But this book of Daniel, 
is all about resilience. And resilience is the kind of thing that uh, I, I would say that if I were to describe resilience, I would probably use Winston Churchill. And Winston Churchill, the best statement that I've ever known is that when he talks about fighting uh, the Krauts, uh, our friends now, the Germans who run Europe effectively, when he talks about them, he said, we shall never give up, right? We shall never give up. And I think that that's what resilience is about, never giving up. But when you have resilience in Jesus, it shapes you entirely different, and you have a different form of it. So it brings us to our question number two in our worship guide, question number two. How do you grow grit? How do you grow grit? It was a very dark hour in the history of Israel. Um, and when you, if you've been with us on First and Second Kings, as we went through that whole series, you saw the ups and downs, but this is coming towards the end. A very dark hour for them. Daniel was born when King Josiah was made king, just around that time. So King Josiah was eight years old, and Daniel was born around that time. So there's not a lot of years of difference between Daniel and King Josiah. King Josiah, this young little boy king, he becomes king of Israel, and he does some major reformations inside there. He recovered worship. He said, when we gather together, we lift up God, we should do this as a community and as a king as well with his people. He recovered the covenant, saying the covenant hasn't changed. From old to new, the covenant is the same. We are redeemed by Jesus. He recovered Passover, the celebration that God rescued them. He recovered all these things, and he was doing really well, and then one day he went to battle against the archenemy, the Egyptians. He disguised himself as a soldier, thinking that he would be able to uh, protect himself inside there. But an arrow caught him, and he ended up dying, and, and it was a major, major loss of the kingdom. He had four sons, though, and the four sons were eventually all to become kings in different shapes or forms at times, but the middle son, not the oldest, but the second oldest son, he becomes king first, uh, Jehoaz, and he becomes king, he's 23 years old, Daniel's growing up, he's maybe about 10 years old at this time here, or 15 years old, he's just a young boy, this king is growing up, and he lasted only three months. And Necho, the pharaoh, was very upset with this king, and so he chose the next king. And the first thing he does for this next king, Ilikim, is he names him Jehoiakim. Okay, this is significant because when they rename you, they own you, all right? And so when they rename Daniel in chapter one, they own him. That's what they're trying to do. They're establishing his identity. People, when they're sent to prison in this country and, and other places, they're no longer a name, they're a number. They are rebranded something else to say the authority owns your life now. So they rename him, and this king, Jehoiakim, it says in the Bible, he taxes the people heavily. He just like destroys them, takes all the money and sends it up to Egypt. Egypt loves this arrangement. But Nebuchadnezzar is growing the empire of his father. Babylon is spreading. And Nebuchadnezzar hears about this alliance between Israel and Egypt. He doesn't like it. So he marches all his army down the Fertile Crescent. And if you looked at the Daily Walk, you would have printed out maybe a map and drawn where the Fertile Crescent was. It was this beautiful territory that, was, that had water and oasis instead of directly through the desert, and he went on this journey, came down, went to battle against Egypt, and destroyed Jerusalem effectively the first time here. He goes a few more times, but this time in 605, he captures them, and he takes Daniel back, because word happens that Nebuchadnezzar's father has died, or is getting sick and is about to die. And he knows that if he's not back at Babylon, the empire will be taken from him. So he does the kind of Lawrence of Arabia trip, and he zips across 
all the way, as quick as he can, all the way across, and he goes back to Babylon, and he leaves Daniel with all the other captives to do the thousand-mile march all through the Fertile Crescent. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be Daniel on that rough trip, that thousand miles marching there? To remember that Daniel grew up understanding all the prophecies of old, remembering that he had read of Abraham who left Babylon, Ur, and traveled through the Fertile Crescent to the Promised Land. And now Daniel has to retrace the same trip back from the Promised Land all the way back to captivity. He's going on the reverse of everything that God has promised him. And Daniel's processing all of this into his mind. It says the the historical writings about this extra to the Bible talk about how the Jews who were being marched there were told by the Babylonians to, to play musical instruments on the trip. And as a sign of protest, they would bite and destroy their fingers so they couldn't play in instruments because they didn't want to play for their captors, the Babylonians. So this thousand-mile march wasn't like, here we go today, marching, having fun. This was torture all the way back to Babylon. It was awful. And Daniel knows that his life is over. But Daniel has some hope. He has some tremendous hope. And he takes courage from the people before him, from the prophets of old. And I want you to turn with me to Jeremiah. If you're in the book of Daniel, it's just a couple of pages back, but in Jeremiah, which is page 732, Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah was an older guy than Daniel, a prophet at the time of Daniel. And Jeremiah had written some words knowing what was going to happen here and said to to the exiles, this is how you're supposed to cope. Because Jeremiah knows Jesus, and I mean, he's gone through a lot himself. He's been thrown in prison, he's been abused. Uh, When they they came to capture uh, Jerusalem, they thought he was one of of the criminals, so he was further attacked, and I mean, he's gone through all sorts. But this is the word that he gives in Jeremiah 29, verses 4 to 8 there. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat, the, and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters a marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare and you will find your welfare. That's an interesting process, isn't it? That's an interesting method to be able to deal with this. Daniel's like, I've been captured by them, and I've been taken to captivity, and Jeremiah, my hero, says to me that God said, go live there. Go even help them to grow. Go be faithful. Don't worry, God is with you. That's a, that's a mindset shift, not go start an insurrection, no, go start a rebellion, no, go try to escape, none of that kind of stuff. He says, go and be compliant, but be faithful to God, and be faithful to God by building the empire that you are held captive in. That's nothing like everything that he could imagine. And I'm sure that he looked at all the stories of the First Testament that he knew, and looked at all the characters, and started to think about who else has ever been like I have been in a situation like this. And I'm pretty sure that he would eventually have struck upon Joseph. Because get this, If you compare the whole stories of Joseph and Daniel side by side, both of them were led to a foreign land. Both of them were handsome. Both of them had their faith tested. 
both of them, God showed favor to their bosses. Both of them were given foreign names, so their identity were taken. Both of them interpreted dreams, and both were eventually promoted to be second to the king in the empire that they worked in. Now, Daniel would have understood that story, and he would have understood Joseph, and he would have said, well, I've been led to a foreign land. I'm pretty handsome, I suppose. Is my faith going to be tested? I'm going to find out. Is God going to show favor? I'm going to find out. Will I be given a foreign name? Pretty soon he'll find out. Will I interpret dreams? I will find out. All of this, I don't know. Maybe I'm going to have a life like Joseph, but I know this, that Jeremiah told me, be faithful to God. Be resilient in God. Have some grit, and God will take you through this. At first, only a few of these start to fall through. There is this great book that I read this summer that I think illustrates as well. It's actually uh, by a Chinese-American called uh, Angela Duckworth called Grit. You can see a picture that flies up here on screen? More or less. It looks like that. Not like that, but it's coming. You got the picture for us? It is. Thank you. I have to turn around because I can't see it. <laughs> Great book, uh, came out in May 2016, and, uh, and this book here, uh, what she tries to do basically in this book is, is address the issue that when you're thinking about grit, when you're thinking about determination, often people will say, if you have talent, that's enough. But what she does is she dispels that. She says, talent is not enough. You can't just be a gifted one, you have to have grit. And grit is a mixture of perseverance and passion. And she talks about the story of, uh, the opening story in the book is of the West Point Military Academy. And in that story at the beginning, she talks about how, you know, they have 14,000 kids who want to go to West Point Military Academy, and then it gets filtered down to 4,000 who get nominated. And out of the 4,000 who get nominated, 2,500 are possibilities. And of the 2,500 who are possibilities, 1,200 get accepted. And of these 1,200, there's a huge percentage that drop out as the years go on. So she went to analyze this in 2004 and five and six and to say, what is it that makes some of them successful and others not? Because they were like intervarsity captains of the school teams and, and great GPAs and talented and capable, but some still dropped out. And she worked out that those that had grit, they're the ones who survived. So I, I want to test you right now, and that's where you need your pen and you need your worship guide. I'm going to ask you 10 quick questions, all right? And when, don't put the first question up yet. Uh, you're going to work out how gritty you are. Not dirty, gritty. Um, and, uh, and you're going to ask, answer these questions. You're going to keep a tally. So if you don't have a pen, paper, use your Android or iPhone device, and you're going to write this down so that you can work out just how gritty you are. And, and it starts off with number one, and before we put it up, it's going to ask you a question. It's going to give you a scale of one to five. It will vary. You just have to answer as quick as you can, and then we'll go to the next one. And I'll cue you, Michael, when we go to the next one. But let's, uh, everybody ready? Everybody got a pen? It's like an exam. Pens down, pens up, right? Everybody's got a pen or a device. Peter's got a pen, of course. <laughs> he does know how to use a device, just not a mobile one. All right, so how gritty are you? Let's go for the first one then. New ideas and projects sometimes distract me from previous ones. Not all like me five, very much like me one. So you'll put down number one, and you'll put your score down next to it. All right, let's go to number two. There's pressure. Setbacks don't discourage me. I don't give up easily. 
Number one, not at all like me. Number five, very much like me. You can choose in between where you are. Let's go to the next one. Three, I often set a goal, but later choose to pursue a different one. If that's not like you at all, five, it's very much like you, number one. I often set a goal, but later on choose to pursue a different one. All right, next one. I'm a hard worker. Number one, not like you. Number five, very much like you. Next one. I have difficulty maintaining my focus on projects that take more than a few months to complete. It takes longer than a few months to complete. It's difficult for me. Five, not at all like me. One, very much like you. Next one. I finish whatever I begin. Number one, not at all like you. Number five, very much like you. Next one. My interests change from year to year. Five, not at all like me. One, very much like you. Is that all of them? One more? Michael, is that the last one? One more. I'm diligent and I never give up. One, not at all like me. Five, very much like me. Okay. Next one. I have been obsessed with a certain idea or project for a short time, but later lose interest. Five, not at all like me. One, very much like me. And then this is the last one. I've overcome setbacks to conquer an important challenge. One, not at all like, you, like me. Five, very much like me. All right, I want you to add all those numbers up. And then I want you to divide it by five. And this is where you'll need a calculator or Peter's brain. So add them all up and divide them by five. Done? So yeah? All right. Here's the scores of your grit scale. The closer you are to five, the higher your percentage of grit, and obviously the lower you score to five, down to 2.5, uh, the lowest level of, of grit that you have right now. No, by five. 
You got a 10? A 7? Is it by 10? Try 10. I had a really high score. No, I didn't. All right, so 10. Thank you. That makes better sense. Everybody's like, I didn't like my score. I'm going to change that. All right. Everybody good? There's a chapter in the book as well, and I'm just going to show you this one chart here that talks about parenting. Really good about how to develop parenting, and, and, uh, and this is uh, Parenting for Grit. And he talks about uh, the tension that we have in parenting, because some of us are very permissive with our kids. We just want our kids to like, learn and grow and just see where they go. They can teach themselves. They can actually help their, their siblings grow as well, and we'll just be with them. We'll always support them. Whatever their dream, whatever they wish, we're just good luck. And there's others of us who are very authoritarian and decide everything for them. And, and we, you know, in education, when I was at Andrews, we would often refer to those parents as the helicopter parents. Who, who just appear all the time and they want to manage every single thing and they're constant, kind of like doing the homework for the kids and they're just hovering over the teachers. Practically, you know, the teacher's in bed at night sleeping and wakes up and finds the parent next to them. It's that kind of like intimacy that's just weird. So they're those kind of parents who are just too involved. But on the far right, the wise parenting, are those who are very supportive and also very demanding. So they do the supporting and they do demanding. And if you can be demanding of your kids and if you can be supportive of your kids at the same time, balancing those two out, two out you actually become a wiser parent and you help your, your kids to have a greater level of grit. So back to Daniel chapter 1 then because Daniel chapter 1 has a great word inside there that I believe uh, is really important for us. So turn with me to Daniel chapter 1, page 821. It says there in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. Daniel determined that he would not defile himself. Daniel had grit that he would not defile himself. That's what's happening in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. And here it is. There are three options that you have Daniel's facing right now. Number one is that he's going to have the option to become a eunuch. A eunuch means that he's going to have his tackle removed. Number two is that Daniel is not going to be able to uh, observe Sabbath anymore because there is no uh, sunset now. Hey, Sabbath is coming in. You can have time off work. It is on seven days a week. And number three is that Daniel will get to choose what kind of food he gets to eat, whether he'll eat food from the king's table or not. Daniel actually doesn't have those three choices. He doesn't get to say, no, do not castrate me. He doesn't get to say, no, I would actually like to be able to have my Sabbaths off right now. He doesn't get to say anything. The only option that he has when he's in the palace, and the Bible tells a story really well, it says that I'm going to choose at least the food that I put in my mouth because that food that you're giving me not so much about what it is, it's that it's been dedicated to your God, and you're saying your God, Marduk, Baal, your God is the one that provides, but my God is the one that provides, and I will draw one small line, one little statement that I'm going to say right now that this is important, and Daniel 1.8 says this, that he determined to do this, he said the grit, verses 9 and 10 says that God blessed it and said to the boss, hey, the boss said, okay, I don't know, I'm not happy about this, but I don't know, I'm not going to make a decision about this. Daniel says, he goes to the second round, talks to the waiter and says, come on. Verse 11, round two, the boss is not really upset about this. Give me my vegetables, give me my fruit, let me eat a healthy diet, give me 10 days, I'll show you what this is like. And then verse 17 says that God gave, 
God blessed. God gave him wisdom. God accelerated him so much so that it describes him 10 times better. The best exaggeration, the fullness. He was 10 times better than everybody else. It was just amazing the results of this because he was being faithful to God with something small, the smallest thing that he could just say, this is who I am. Whether I say some words to you, in my heart I know that this is who I am. So question number three comes up now. What needs to happen for you to be determined to follow Jesus? Those of you who know me um, will probably know well that I am a person of grit. And my score was, when I did this was 4.6. Um, I have grit inside my heart. But here's the thing. Um, my grit is driven from passion and perseverance, which Angela talks about. But my passion comes from Jesus, and my perseverance comes from Jesus as well. And that's what creates the determination in my life. Now, I understand, like Daniel, what it is to have felt like you've lost everything. Um, I understand what it's like to be in a moment in your life where you just think, I don't know what's going to happen as Daniel did as well, not knowing anything of the future, not knowing where anything was going to be. I understand what that's like. I understand because when I went through cancer, that moment for me made me reset my entire clock, my entire life, and ask myself, what is life truly all about? And by doing so, I went back to Jesus. And I said, all right, like Daniel, who Believe me, I believe that he held on to God as tight as he could through his experience in chapter one and through that march and through the chapters that are coming ahead in his entire life saying, I will trust God. I will have determination and grit because I know that this God is reliable. And that's what I did as well. I tried to place everything inside there. On Tuesday this week, I went to our church's head office out in Washington, D.C., and uh, as I said to you last week, we were going to hear for the first time what the Biblical Research Institute was saying about the One Project. Um, so if you've never heard of the Biblical Research Institute, their code name is BRI. Not the CIA, it's not MI6, it's BRI. And uh, they've received unindated letters and emails and phone calls from, from what people who I would refer to as nutters uh, around the world. And if you don't know what that is, an English word is a great word, but it describes people who, I don't know, have no social life and they're just writing these things off. So they were bombarded with all these comments. And they said, listen, we, we just need to, we need to get to the bottom of this because this is strange that so many people are doing this. So they watched all the sermons and they watched everything we've done. And honestly, they had nothing to say about our theology or what we're saying about Jesus Christ in any of the gatherings of the One Project. Um, but uh, they asked us the questions, and uh, they, they had like four questions, and we answered those four questions inside there. And then uh, some of the other team also had a series of many, many other questions, and we went spent three hours just answering these questions. And here's, here's where the spirit leads, right? Um, I didn't know this, I didn't know this, but this is, this is the beautiful thing. You know, it says in Matthew, do not be anxious how you are to speak, or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that very hour. So <laughs> I prayed that morning, I know Alex prayed that morning, we prayed that morning, and we went into the meeting saying, I don't know, I, I have no idea whether they're going to ask us a question or whether they're just going to read a report to us and let us take it away. But no, they wanted to ask us a question and have an answer there and then. So over the last year, I had studied Genesis extensively. We preached about it here in this church here. I'd studied Daniel all summer in preparation for this series here. So it was fresh in my mind. 
So when the questions came about Genesis and creation, or, or the questions came about what is my view of the little horn in Daniel, uh, I knew the answers to these like pretty fast because God had actually prepared me all summer and all year long. And I had no idea he was going to. And it was beautiful. Same for Alex. All the passages that he had been reading, he knew exactly where to go in the Bible to say, this is what actually I believe and this is where I stand. And it was a great meeting. They were very happy with all the answers at the end of that. And they said, what they're going to do now is they're going to give a report to the presidents. At, so this is where all the presidents from around the globe come together in October for a meeting and will share a verbal report with them. Um, and maybe there'll be some more dialogue and we'll have some more dialogue about it. But it was a great experience in that case. But here's the lesson that I learned that day, which was difficult for me. Um, I didn't want to talk to anyone that night. I was exhausted after three hours of that, an hour in the car, dialogue and more, so four hours. Um, I was tired that night, and, uh, and, I and Alex and I didn't want to even talk to each other. We just wanted to just wrestle with God and go to bed. I didn't understand where all these questions came from because they were from all over the place, nothing to do with the one project, just weird. And, and I feel sorry for our leaders of the church who get bombarded with all these crazy things that they have to filter through, filter through, filter through, and eventually have to address in some shape or form. So I didn't know what to do about that, and I wrestled all through that night about it. And I, even in the morning, when I, when I talked to God about it that morning, I said, I, you know, I want to know that whatever I'm doing, I'm doing is in your will. I want to know that whatever I'm doing is doing because I'm following you. And sometimes I feel that God has called me to nudge myself. And sometimes I feel that God has called me to nudge the community here. And sometimes I feel God has called me to nudge our church. That Jesus is the center of everything. We say it, but we need to live it. We need to live it, and that means that we have serious implications of how we live our life. So I was pretty wrapped up that morning in Dallas Airport, getting ready to fly back here. Um, and uh, I received an email from Patty Chamberlain. Out of the blue, this is what God told me that I should pray for you this morning. And here's something that I think that you should watch. So I watched this video, and so then I was crying through the airport. And, and I'm pretty sure everybody thought, did he have a bad experience at TSA? Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but I was weeping all the way through the airport as I watched this video. And I'm going to have you watch this video so you understand what the words spoke to me will speak to you when Jesus calls you to nudge. I'm so confused. I know I heard you loud and clear so I followed through somehow I ended up here I don't want to think I may never understand that my broken heart is a part of your plan when I try to pray all I got is her and these
I know this much. It's not about people gathering around a table. It's not about programs starting or ending on time. It's not about everything being precise and done well in an orderly fashion. It's not about people gathering in different places all over the world. It's about the moment when you hear the voice of God talk to you and you respond. And when you respond, you say, I will go wherever you take me. I will do whatever you ask me. Whether it leads me to a good place or a bad place. Bad place not because you've called me there, but because that's a long journey to a strange land to where I don't want to go. But if we're going to be determined to follow Jesus, we have to follow him wherever he takes us. Whatever the consequences are for our church here, for our homes, for our global movement, we have to follow Jesus. That's what we follow. That's who we believe in. And he's expressed fully inside this book. Let me pray with you. Lord, I ask that your will be done indeed. Your will be done in our lives. Your will be done in your church. Your will be done in the communities, in our circles of influences. Your will be done. In Jesus' name.